Um, unless you're, in case you're not ready for Advent, in case you're just like, oh, hold on. That, that's right, we talked about this. Oh, shoot, that starts this morning. Here's a picture that might help. Get ready. Uh, this is posted from a uh, um, Into the Word Facebook page. They told, took this from this lady because that's how the internet works. You just take things, you take things, you take things. But anyway, I thought it was helpful. Um, if you're not ready, this is from uh, the 13th century. It's a picture of Mary punching the devil in the face. Welcome to Advent, Memorial. Uh, that was a hot take right before the service. I was like, hey, Joe, we need that. And Joe, he, he's the curator of all the stuff you see on the screen, typically him and Wade. And Joe said, oh, that will definitely be on the screen. Even if you don't use it, that will be on the screen. So there it is. You get that. If you could turn in your Bibles to Luke 2, we're going to be in um, what might have been known since the 60s as the Linus verses in Scripture. Um, Ha, ha, ha. Anyway, uh, we're going to read those and we're going to talk about things. In Advent, you know, it's, uh, we say that we're declaring the sufficiency of Christ through the discipline of waiting. We've been saying that for several years. And, and some years we get to really lean into that and explain that. Some years it's kind of like we just let that linger and, and we all kind of figure out ourselves what that looks like. We're going to look at um, hope, peace, joy, love. Today we're talking about hope, uh, as in you hope it's going to be a good December you hope gravity keeps you on the ground. You hope your check engine light doesn't come on today. Some of you hope that it doesn't mean more than what it means because your check engine light's been on since like 2012. Raise your hand. I don't have a vehicle that doesn't have the check engine light permanently on. That's kind of my JR thing in me. So uh, JR lets me know that it's, it's okay. It's not going to catch in flames. It's some sensor or something that I don't need. So praise God. But those are hopes. And as we want to talk about hope this morning, as in you, you hope this isn't one of the longer sermons, whatever. Um, you have to make that joke as a pastor. I try to avoid it, and then those things come up. Uh, but we want to talk about hope but first, we need to talk about something else. Let's look at this quote. I think this quote's really helpful. I ran across this. Uh, it's from Peter Kuzmik. Uh, he is a, a professor of world missions and European studies at Gordon-Conwell. He says this, Hope is the ability to hear the music of the future. Faith is the courage to dance to it today. Hmm, quite good, quite good. I like seeing that on your face. That's kind of how I respond, right? I was like, hmm, oh, yeah, quite good, yes, yes. So, uh, hope is the ability to hear the music of the future. Faith is the courage to dance to it today. Before we talk about that and before we can really connect hope uh, and connect all dots there, we need to talk about something that's kind of on the other spectrum of hope. We need to talk about fear. Uh, before we get into any of that, let's, let's pray again. Father, we ask right now that you would guide this time as we, we read your word. As we make sense of all the times you talk about fear in scripture, healthy fear, unhealthy fear, our limitations of language, our limitations of knowledge, we submit those things before you trusting your spirit to guide us because you promise that your spirit will teach us all things and remind us of what Jesus has told us. May your spirit move now as we read your word and as we worship you. Amen. What are you afraid of? Throw it out there. What are you, or maybe out your spouse or someone you care about. What are you afraid of? Spiders, well, yeah, of course, right? Snakes, death. What? Nuclear Armageddon. That's that's honesty, right? Losing control. Wow, we're getting getting real real psychological very quickly. Anyone else? Was there something you're afraid of as a kid that like comes? Oh man, this was my thing. My older brother. My older brother. 
spiders. There's a lot of people. Let's just, we need to do a poll then. Raise your hand if you're afraid of spiders. Yeah. Raise your hand if you're not afraid of spiders. Like, ah, it doesn't really bother me. Okay. Raise your hand if you're never going to raise your hand when I ask you to raise your hand. There it is. Okay. That's how this goes here. I know my home. This is where it's at. Do you guys know the most common fears? Uh, this has been like research done over and over and over, and there's like two most common fears. Do you know what they are? Oh, sorry. What? Darkness? No. It's, it, that's up there. Yeah, yeah. Being alone, hopelessness. Um, those things are associated. Normally, death. Death is one of the major fears. The other one is public speaking. Yeah. Raise your hand if you're afraid of public speaking. Yeah, well, it's kind of funny because like now everyone's looking at you. Raise your hand. So, uh, and then that begs the question, man, what if you death by public speaking? Whoa. Now you've combined. Whoa. Oh, I can't even imagine. So, um, does anyone here really like uh, the realm of scary movies, haunted houses, those sort of things? You don't want to raise your hand in church because people are going to make fun of you, right? No, I love the bold people. Yeah, like I love this stuff, right? I cannot stand it. Like it creates anger in me because that's what happens with emotions, right? Fear, lose control. And so you go to a secondary emotion to feel in control. So I go to anger because I'm afraid. But like I remember when Nikki was, uh, you know, she's always young, but um, when she was uh, uh, 17, 18 or so, and she was going to a haunted house with some of her ridiculous high school friends and some silly youth group thing and me being more older and mature I was just like this is so dumb those people are going to take you in the woods and kill you or whatever I was just so mad about it I was like why would you do that the devil works in fear I was so fired up and to this day it's like those sort of things like like get me fired up but some of us some of us take that intensity from fear and, and we just love it we want more of it we want to we want to uh, it's it's in the realm of thrill seeking so in case you were wondering, I've looked into the neurology of it, and I've brought to us why some of us get so excited about fear and horror movies and those sort of things, and why some of us are like, no, I'm just going to push it away. Uh, quick, just neurological stuff for you if you're interested. When you feel fear, what happens is it's a, the base core function of your brain. It's in your amygdala. Do you guys know what the amygdala is in control of? Fight or flight. You guys have heard that. Say fight or flight. Some people call it reptilian brain. I think that's misleading and confusing and, and degrading. But, but it's this, this tendency to say, man, I, everything is, is alert. And immediately when you go into fight or flight, there is both a competition and a, a co-laboring with your hippocampus that says, hey, hippocampus is in charge of what? Do you guys know? It, processing information and storing memories. That's kind of what that's, that's doing. And so your amygdala, you're like, oh my gosh, should I fight? Should I run? What should I do? That sort of tension goes with your brain that has stored information. So how do I make sense of this? And what's interesting is all these chemicals are released from your brain to your whole body to give sensations that you know of. When you're afraid, when someone sneaks up behind you and goes, ah, right, you have something that comes out of you. You have an increased heart rate and blood pressure. It's because your body is naturally flowing so much blood to it so that it can be ready to respond. Your muscles have what it needs to fight or flight, right? Um, you accelerate in breath. <laughs> so uh, that's why you start sweating. Do you know there's different kinds of sweat? That's beside the point. But uh, these things happen because what it's doing is it's getting your body ready to respond. You have enough oxygen. You have enough blood. Your digestive system slows. So your body isn't as focused on digesting. It's responding, ready to respond. It's interesting. The body does so many things when it's afraid because it's time to take action. You have to have a response. When you're afraid, you make a response. 
Each person processes these things differently, and then the hippocampus stores those informations differently. And so some of you remember fears like, dude, that was a good time. I was really scared, and I hated it, but it was also awesome. And so then you, when you get afraid, you have a pathway to say, neurological pathway to say, oh, maybe I should be afraid more often. Others of you have trauma, fear, those sort of things. You say, man, fear is always bad, and so I want to avoid it. I don't want to be there. And then that's where you get this whole spectrum. Some people who can be fearful thrill seekers, some people who avoid it. Love roller coasters, hate roller coasters, all those sort of things. And it creates a response in us. The Bible has a word for fear. It actually creates a lot of complexity. The Bible has several words for fear, and they're all over the place. And, and it's kind of like if I were to say, is fear a good thing? You would say, Ugh. like it's, uh, I don't know, what's the right answer? It's tough, because like we want to say it's good, but in general there's types of fear that feel like they're bad. It's, it's disabilitating, it's tense. The word in Greek that we see often, that we're going to see in uh, some verse we read, is phabeo. Say phabeo. And we get an English word from this. Do you know what it is? Phobia, like arachnophobia. Have you seen that movie? Terrible. If all of you who are going to hate spiders, don't watch arachnophobia. It'll mess you up. So the idea of phabeo, or we get the word phobia, in the Bible is to put to flight by terrifying. Fight or flight. Got to run, right? Or, here's, this is tricky. Or to treat with reverent obedience. Ah! Ah, I will follow you. Right? That's ah, what? So here's the tension. So all through the Bible, the word fear creates a natural tension of how do we interpret this. And, and I just want to say, those of you who are Sunday school people, you've heard a lot of sermons, you might have had a category in your brain that some, someone told you at some point, well, healthy biblical fear, it's just reverence. You need to think about it as reverence. Listen, that undercuts knowledge that under that that puts something in a category that doesn't quite fit it kind of pudges out and overflows like this doesn't quite fit yes that's true but but there's a, a, actually a type of fear that's in the realm of of putting to flight that that is appropriate when the bible says fear it's not always that we shouldn't have that impulse before god before his angels and so it gets tricky this morning what we're going to say is, well, actually, here's a, here's a quote from uh, uh, two Old Testament scholars, Longman and Ince. They say, it may be that the word for fear, it falls somewhere between the two English words respect, which may not do it justice to the gravity of the word, uh, and fear, which can connote unhealthy dread. So, so maybe these, these Old Testament scholars are saying, hey, this word for fear, maybe it's somewhere in between, both and. This morning we're going to talk about how the birth of Jesus is the death of misplaced chaotic fear. The birth of Jesus is the death of misplaced chaotic fear. Those words matter. We're going to wrestle what that means. Look in Luke 2. Let's read the Bible. Luke 2, starting in verse 8. Take a moment, uh, grab one of these if you can. Uh, it'll be on the screen, but if you want to grab one of the little black Bibles in the seats in front of you and turn to Luke 2, get the word in front of your face. As we say most weeks, there's a lot of things I'm going to say up here. A lot of things we say up here, and, and they are true. We've been praying that God would lead. But the most true thing that's spoken that we can count on is what we're reading in here. This is God's word. This is eternal. And so we want to get that in our face. Um, I can be excited, make you laugh, make you whatever, but the word of God is eternal. It lasts forever. Let's read that. Luke 2, starting in verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not. Catch that. They were filled with great fear. 
And the angel said? Fantastic. That's the first exchange. Ah! Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy. You know these verses. They're on every Christmas card you've ever received. Fear not. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Say Savior. Who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. Here's what happens. Shepherds hear this. What next? Well, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, "Uh, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary, Joseph, and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it, which would be Mary, Joseph, the baby, potentially anyone else that was there, the shepherds, all who heard this, they wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told to them. As we said, the birth of Jesus is the death of misplaced, chaotic fear. You see in verse 9 there's, uh, and, and on this story, it's, it's pretty, pretty simple. You can kind of cut and dry. They, they have this celestial being, the angel of the Lord, this, this, this thing. And it says the glory of the Lord. We've talked before about how the Hebrew word for that, this is Greek, but, but in general the understanding of the Hebrews would have been kabod. And kabod is heaviness, weight, this authority, this, this power, this big thing. It's on top of them. And that creates fear and tension. And so they, they're afraid. Glory of the Lord fills them all around them. They're filled with fear. And then the angel of the Lord says, fear not. Same word. Fear not. Look. Behold. Second most command in scriptures. To behold. To look. Look. Good news. Joy. All people. Get pumped. It's interesting, the flow. God's glory. Fear. Don't be afraid. This is side note. There's no mention of whether or not they should have been afraid. They're not... They're not um, What's the word? They're not uh, made fun of. Uh, they're not made to be convicted. They're not corrected. They're not rebuked for their fear. They're just told, hey, don't, don't be afraid. Why? And then he gives a reason. Fear is complex. As we've just talked about, it's, it's complex in our brains. We can process it differently. It starts in the same place. Our brains have similar functions. They all do the same thing, right? But then it somehow gets stored differently and we respond differently. It's complex. It's also very complex in the Bible. It's complex in the world around us. I want us to wrestle with some of these ideas of fear. Let me, let me just sit in it, because again, we say, is fear a good or bad thing? Is there, emotions are not good or bad. Emotions are information. At, in fact, someone needs to hear that this morning. Say emotions are information. Emotions are information. And you can add other things on there. There's meaning to them. There's depth. And, and some people swing the pin and say, your feelings matter. Your feelings really matter. And that's great, but then sometimes the phrase really matter becomes an idol of focus. What if your feelings are wrong and silly, stupid, asinine? Do they matter? Yeah, in a sense, but they matter because they're information. They don't matter in the sense that like you should own them, hold them, and be like, man, I should be afraid of everything, or I should hate everyone, or I should always be angry. That's different. And then we sing the pen 
come from over here and say, ah, emotions don't matter. Just plow through, move on. Now you're fighting your brain. You're fighting the natural order of what God created you to do. And so there's some tension with this, these words, with emotions, with fear. Psalms 25, 14. All these are going to be on the screen. You can write them down. Life group leaders have these notes if you need them. Psalms 25, 14. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. The fear of the Lord is associated with friendship. Psalms 103, 17. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting to those who fear him. The steadfast love of the Lord. One of the definitions of God. The Lord, the Lord. Gracious. He's he's steadfast love for generations, right? One of the most repeated verses in scripture about his steadfast love. Now it's saying that's associated with his fear. Friendship, steadfast love, associated with fear of the Lord. Isaiah 33, 6 and Isaiah 11, 3 both say the fear of the Lord is treasure, is delight. Some of the most core values of what the Hebrews would understand. These words that mean, hey, this is what we value. This is what we take in. This is what it means to be human. The fear of the Lord is treasure, delight. If you want to learn more, you can read Ecclesiastes. Proverbs unpacks this idea over and over and over. Psalms 134 says, but, you, but with you, the Lord, there's forgiveness that you may be feared. It's interesting. To us, fear is an emotion that repels rather than attracts. Fight or flight, right? When you fight someone, does that bring you in a better relationship with them? Almost never, right? You can argue around about, well, it's good to fight and have healthy fights. That's fine. Marriage counseling, we can talk about that. But in general, when you're fighting something out of fear, it doesn't, it doesn't bring a closer relationship. It repels. It doesn't bring in. When you run from something, when you flight from it, does that bring in a healthy relationship or repel it? Ah, it repels it typically, right? And obviously, yes, yeah, set boundaries. Some relationships you need to get away from. Maybe there's a narcissistic family member that continues to crush you. Maybe there's some damaging thing. That's fine. But in general, we would say that's still a broken relationship. It's not healthy. And so when we talk about fear and we put it solely in the realm of fight or flight, then we miss out on this idea that, that maybe we're saying fear is only to repel rather than attract. And clearly this isn't what God means when he's saying fear, when he's using words like friendship, steadfast love, treasure, delight, forgiveness. The scholar Derek Kidner, he notes that, that this verse, specifically Psalm 134 about forgiveness, he says that it confirms the true sense of fear of the Lord in the Old Testament, dispelling any doubt that it means reverence and implies relationship. There's something about the fear of the Lord that's about drawing in, not repelling. It's about a healthy relationship, not about pushing aside. Tim Keller says this, I love this. Fear in the Bible means to be overwhelmed, to be controlled by something. To fear the Lord is to be overwhelmed with wonder before the greatness of God and His love. It means that because of His bright holiness and magnificent love, you find Him fearfully beautiful. That is why the more we experience God's grace and forgiveness, the more we experience a trembling awe and wonder before the greatness of all that he is and that he's done for us. Fearing him means bowing before him out of amazement at his glory and beauty. Amen? That's clearly, now you start, okay, now that, is it just fight or flight? I oh, know there's something else here. There's something about fear. I love that he says, fearfully beautiful. It's not it's not just reverence, because there's still a, a gravity. Ah, what? It's almost like we have a limitation of language. Like our language is too comp- uh, like this is too complex for our mere language, and that fear is beyond just our simple neurological understandings of it. The fear of the Lord, catch this, is about a right relationship with Him. 
The fear of the Lord is about a right relationship, a right presence with him. It, man, I wrestled with this so much this week because I also study counseling and, and study stuff in, in the brain and, and trying to make sense of like fears. So much of meeting with people and talking to them about stuff is, is uh, walking through fears and trauma and dispelling lies. And they go together, fears and lies. And, and, and then you tell someone, well, but God wants you to fear him triggered my gosh what and it's all this tension and and uh, man uh, maybe it's because of philosophy in my life and like words matter and it's like but it says fear and so i spent way too much time studying all the greek and hebrew words for fear trying to just figure out the equation and it's like studying the word holy or trinity you can put all these different definitions out there but it should still feel like you're missing it because it's deeper than your language it's deeper than the words you can put to it it's deeper than a theological sentence there's something more there and i'm not throwing out an idea of relativism there's something there it's just too big and beautiful and powerful as kurt would be here and teach us about art and the things he did there's something bigger here that has to be expressed maybe differently than just the confines of language and so think about this this was really helpful to me in the garden, everything comes back to Genesis 1 and 2, does it not? In the garden, as Adam and Eve, they, they were given, everything was good. God said it was good. He created them in his image. He created them to create good things. He created them to work. They were working. Work's not bad. I'm sorry you dislike your job, but God created you to create good things. Something meaningful to you to do. That's what it means to be human. He told them not to do something. Do you remember what he told them not to do? You can talk to me. It's okay. That's right. Oh, I love that a children, a child's in That's right. Eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't do that. That's what God said. And so what's the problem? The big problem was that we say this, we say it all the time, wrap it up in rebelling. But then the serpent comes. And what does the serpent say? Did God, lies. That's right. Did God really say? How, how don't? Pause. Did God really say that you should? Did, did he? Did, see, God knows that if you eat from that, You'll be like God. You get to decide good from evil. You get to be God. Is God. What's the underlying lie there? God doesn't have your best interest in mind. God's not really going to take care of you. God's not a good father. And when this idea hit me last night, it shook me. Like, so often we think, oh, if only they didn't eat the fruit. If only the woman wasn't so silly. That's what people say. That's ridiculous. They're both there together. Like, if only they wouldn't have, things would be so much better. It's not just whether or not they should have eaten the fruit. What if we, what if we just, just would have had, did God really not say, no, they smacked the serpent into the story. No more rest of the Bible. Hold on, there's something else there. How should they, think about it. How should they have responded to the lie they received? Fear was inserted. A scarcity mentality was put on them. Did God really say, can you really trust God? No, you don't need to trust him because you could be like him. You could decide on your own. How should they have responded to that? Think about this. If someone lies to one of my children and says, your dad doesn't really care about you. If he cared about you, he'd buy you a PlayStation 5 and let you play video games all the time. If he cared about you, he'd let you eat candy at 10 p.m. while also staying up till 11 if your dad really, <laughs> some of you are like, parenting. If your dad really, now, would I just want my kids to say, no, you're, you're wrong, and then just sit in those lies? You would want your kids to come to you and say, mom, dad, one who I revere, one who I understand holds what is right and wrong. How, 
what do I do with this? Because now I have doubt, concern, tension. What, what would the story look like if Adam and Eve would have been faithful? I submit that it wouldn't have just been saying no. Because you have doubts and struggles that are on just saying no. You have fear. You have things that insert into your mind. Lies. How do you deal with lies? You fight them with truth. We talked about this with light and darkness. What illuminates lies and fear and doubt? The gospel. King Jesus. What if they would have gone to the Father and said, Hey, this serpent lied to us. Man, all of a sudden that feels like parenting. That feels like a loving father who could say, no, no, no. They would have revered the Lord. They would have feared the Lord. Not in a, we need to flee from you and control it ourselves. We can trust you. We can have a right relationship with you. It, it was fear that should have drawn them in. But instead, it was a lie. A fear that pushed them away. And so all of a sudden now we have two different types of fear we're understanding. Healthy fear and unhealthy fear. And I understand that's not super helpful because you can't clinically take that and go decide, oh, this is a perfect category. This must be unhealthy fear and this would be healthy fear. But scripturally, there must be two different kinds of fear because there's fear that's no, no, and there's fear that's yes, yes. And there's sometimes it's in between where it's like you should revere God, but also you don't have a spirit of fear. So what do you do with this? Well, I think as we read this story, it gets unpacked for us. I like to think about a loving father or, or a coach or a leader. You want, to, you want to revere and love and, and draw near and respect a good father. You want to get away from and fear a father who abuses you. Same idea with fear. You, you, a good coach, you want to revere them and obey them and, and do what they tell you to do and trust them. You, you have a beautiful fear of, of reverence of how they coach you, but if they're abusive, terrible, mean coach, then you fear them and don't want to listen to them. Same idea with fear. Fear is a good thing. Anxiety can be a good thing. Pain can be a good thing. These things are information. Emotions are not good or bad. They're information. The fear of the Lord shows a right, healthy relationship with who he is and who we are. What does it look like to come to the Lord with fears and say, hey, I, I actually, I fear you above these doubts and fears that, that are dwelling in me, these lies. I fear that you actually are the one. I revere you. I find you beautifully fearful. I'm in awe of you. Listen to verse 9 again as we read in Luke 2. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Ah! And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. I think it's interesting as a side note, but it's not just blind faith. The angel doesn't say, believe, brothers. Just believe, man. No big deal. Just have faith, yo. He says, hey, here's a sign. Go look. You can go find these things. Folks, we have an empty tomb. We have countless documents. We have so much information that Jesus is alive and that he is Lord. The Bible isn't about blind faith. There's certainly a faith aspect to it. But the Bible's also about knowledge, about information, about what's true. The angel says, hey, this will be a sign to you. So why do they fear not? Here's a few reasons why they fear not. Because God said so. 
It's important for us to, to recognize we should fear the Lord. And we might talk about it here in a minute. Maybe I'll forget. But in general, we live in a culture that has taught you that you don't need to fear the Lord because we've either reduced the Lord to some religiosity that we control. Oh, God is just this thing that you appease by doing the stuff. Like, go to these services, do these things, then God's happy with you. Or you don't need to believe in God at all. In fact, the greatest authority in life is you. How's that working out for you? You're the greatest authority. You like those, that being on your shoulders? And so we've been pulled to not fear God at all. But in general, in Scripture, we understand we should fear God because he created everything. He's above us. He could crush us. He can save us or he can separate us. That's what we see in Scripture over and over. He will judge us. Read the Scriptures. You will be judged on what you do, right? And so, so you have all this in you. There's a reason to fear God. There's a reason why when the glory of God, his kabod, his weight is on them, they say, oh my gosh, I can't do, I, what God, they, they can't do anything. They're afraid. We should fear God. Why are we told to fear not? Because God says so. He says, fear not because he's brought them together in Jesus. Because Jesus is here. Matthew uh, later on unpacks this where he tells of Jesus saying uh, in Matthew 28, And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy the soul and the body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are more valuable than the sparrows. Interesting that, that so quickly you go to a relationship. Hey, hey, you should fear the one that can cast you into hell. But, but if you know Jesus, if you follow the Lord, you, you don't need to fear because he loves you. Because you have a right relationship with him. You're more valuable than the sparrows. We don't fear because God says so. We also don't fear because you have a right relationship with him through Jesus. Here we see, fear not, behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. In John 6, 20, when we went through John 6 and Jesus walks on the water and the disciples see him and they're afraid. And what does Jesus say? Ego am I. He says, it's me. It's me, Jesus. He says, I am. Do not be afraid. Because he's there. His presence is with them. This is why in Second Timothy, we see the verses you may have memorized, you may have them on a coffee cup. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. And Timothy's not throwing that out, or Paul's not throwing that out so you can have it on a coffee mug. Paul's throwing it out to make you understand, hey, do you know this Jesus thing we're talking about? The king of the world? That's why you don't fear. Because you have power and love and sound judgment, sound mind, self-control. It's what all those words mean. As a kid, I was very afraid. Okay, anyone want to guess? What was I afraid of as a kid? The dark. Every kid's afraid of the dark, right? Clowns. Whoa. Man, Pee-wee's Big Adventure. There's like this scene where the clowns are like harming his bike in a dream. And like that clown is etched into my brain. Anyone see Pee-wee's Big Adventure, the bike movie? That clown has ruined my life, right? And here's the thing, though. Let's, let's talk about this for a minute. Can you trust someone who has to paint a smile on their face? <laughs> Be real. And so like, I, my fear of clowns is like, I can't trust you. You're always happy or you're always sad. I can't trust you. Don't smile. Or don't. Here's the worst. If you ever see one like at the fair and they're like at like the, the end of their shift or whatever, they seem unhappy, but they're smiling. What? It's so uncomfortable. You're not happy. You hate this job. You don't want to fold balloon animals. You want to go cry in your car. Like it's so tense. I think it's interesting that even as my fear as a child, it was understood that like I can't trust the relationship with this. I have an inappropriate fear of them because there's not a trustworthy right relationship there. 
The birth of Jesus is the death of misplaced chaotic fear. When we say chaotic fear, misplaced chaotic fear, you've already seen that there's a type of healthy fear. There's, there's a reverence, there's like this parental, this, this coach, this leader, someone that we can trust. There's a reverence or a fear there. And also you understand they're in control of you. They could squash you, but they choose not to because there's a right relationship there. There's that fear. But there's also chaotic fear. I love using the word chaos because all through scripture, you see that the devil, the world, the flesh, evil, they bring disorder, disunity, and chaos over and over and over. And the Spirit, who hovers over the waters from the beginning, the Lord, when He speaks, King Jesus, they bring unity. They bring things together only through them, through their right relationship. Our pattern in life tends to be fear, fight or flight, amygdala, and then we move to control. How in my hippocampus can I find, I can categorize this, I can control it. And now let's be real, get a little clinical with you guys. If you're going through that and you're saying, man, I am scared. I've got fear. I need to fight or flight. Some of you need to be scared, by the way. You're lying to yourself. You're, you're avoiding your fear. You're saying, oh, I'm not scared of nothing. I'm double tough. Lean into that. Why are you angry all the time? Because you're actually afraid. You just don't want to admit it, right? Because when we get afraid, we move to, I want to control or I want to escape. Fight or flight. You wonder why all these people who are struggling, we have just such a huge rise in our culture of anxiety, depression, suicide, all these tensions that are raising. We also see a huge rise in all these addictions, new addictions people talk about all of a sudden that, that weren't as popular, now they're all over, like, like cell phone addiction, mobile addiction, video game addiction. What is this? It's control or escape. I can't control the world around me, so I have to escape it. There's a misplaced, a chaotic fear. We have a fear of ourself. Maybe I'm not who I should be. Maybe I'm at this family gathering and I'm not the mom I was supposed to be this year. I didn't, I didn't accomplish what I thought I was supposed to be. I had these desires and it's not what I wanted. Maybe it's a fear of others. Man, they don't, they don't think I've matched up. They know that I messed up my job this, this year. They know that I'm just an angry jerk, afraid of others. We have a fear of God, an unhealthy fear of God that, oh, the big guy upstairs, he's just looking down. If I don't make him happy, he's going to, that's probably, he's punishing me. He's mad at me. He's, all these things come back. It's interesting that, that so much of, of psychology has moved to in, in the last uh, 56 years, I lose track of time, but it's all so much about attachment theory and how you learned, how your brain learned to regulate, how you learned to co-regulate in the womb and with your early relationships. Everything is relationship. Go ahead and say that. Everything is relationship. And, and so from the beginning, a counselor would, would, they might not tell you this, but they'd work through like, hey, what's this attachment theory? And, and where did you learn attachment? you have a healthy attachment? Do you have, a, have an unhealthy? And, and you know what's interesting? You know what fixes unhealthy attachment styles? Healthy relationships. Fix it. What is counseling? It's a healthy, safe relationship that guides you to dispel the fears and lies that you have that are chaotic. That, that are destroying you, that are misplaced, so that you can have healthy relationships because all of life is relationships. And interestingly enough, from the beginning, God, who has a perfect relationship with himself, the Father, Son, Spirit, he created you in his image to have right relationships with others. And we walk into this chaotic fear, this misplaced fear of a broken relationship with ourselves, a broken relationship with each other, a broken relationship with God. Then we see in Luke 2, his first things, as, as Luke is pulling us into this narrative of the Messiah, King Jesus coming. Lean into these words. Hear what they say. I'm going to read them again. The angel of the Lord appeared to them. They were afraid. 
The angel says, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news. Filled with great joy. It will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Who is Christ the Lord. This Messiah you've been hoping in. This one that would make all things new. All of a sudden, it's here. You don't need to be afraid. You don't need to have chaotic, misplaced fears. You don't need to worry about having a right relationship with yourself, with others, with God. Because all of a sudden, that's getting resolved. How do the shepherds respond to fear? I put some things on on the board here, but I think it's interesting. Maybe this helps you as you think about the fears, the tensions. Fear with yourself, fear with others, fear with God. Here's how we see just in Scripture how they respond. They listen to the Lord. They they, they listen. They they don't just run. The word fear that we have, right, the the Greek word means to run, to to flee, to to flee in terror. And that's not what happens. Before they do that, they, they at least sit there. They're there for enough to hear the angels say, like, don't be afraid, right? They sit in it. They listen to the Lord. They trust in the Lord. They follow him. He gives them specific things to do. Just like Jesus told us, I have all authority. I'm with you always. Go and make disciples. They listen and follow him. They look to Jesus, the hope, the messianic hope they've been waiting for. And they find hope and faith as his truth is revealed. He makes himself known through his love, his grace, his presence with them. Jesus is there, Emmanuel. And then they respond. You can put all sorts of words in here, but their response is reverence, worship, obedience, submission. All those things could be synonyms of healthy fear. Could it not? As you've seen us walk through this, they have a healthy fear and they respond with reverence, worship, obedience, submission. All the healthy relationships in my life, the most deep, meaningful relationships, there is some sort of reverence, obedience, submission. It matters when certain brothers of mine in Christ, certain buddies text, say, hey, can you give me a call? I'm going to give them a call. I have a reverence for them. I trust them. I know, I know that there's something here. If Nikki calls me and I'm hanging out with you, you're not getting my time. I'm going to answer for Nikki. It's not because I'm afraid she's going to divorce me or hit me. It's because I have a reverence for her. There's a healthy fear of our relationship. There's an obedience, submission. And here we see, as the shepherds are told not to fear, they listen to the Lord, they trust in him, they follow him, they look to Jesus. This is a, a cute little equation, and I'm not super great with equations. I'm terrible at math, but uh, you might have seen this on a hat or something. I feel like this isn't mine. I wrote it down, and maybe it's like a popular thing somewhere else, but the basic understanding here is the gospel is greater than fear, and there's all sorts of fear that comes in our life, and like I said, we have this healthy fear, but first, the only way we get to healthy fear is to understand that the gospel is greater than fear. This is exactly what the angels do. They appear, and they say, guess what? You don't need to fear because King Jesus is here. Look to Jesus. Everything you've hoped in, everything you need. As the Bible says, all of God's promises are yes in King Jesus. It puts fear in the right place. Now you can revere the Lord, be in his presence, have a right relationship with him, have a right relationship with yourself, have a right relationship with others. You can actually love God and love other people because of Jesus. You can live as you were created to live because of Jesus. The gospel sets us free from our misplaced chaotic fears. Last week, I showed you a picture of uh, Linus, and I jokingly called these the Linus verses. When Linus goes up and starts, he looks kind of like this, right? And this is here. He's reading, they were afraid, right? And if you don't know this, go watch uh, Charlie Brown Christmas Carol story. I don't know the full name of it. Charlie Brown Christmas. Maybe that's all it's called. I forget. Incredible. And so kind of the crux of the show, right? Linus goes and reads scripture. He reads Luke 2. And in this scene... 
all of a sudden he's not holding something. What's happening here? He's not holding his what? His blanket. What do you know about Linus? What is his character? Oh, he's got attachment theory all over him. What, what is it? He needs his what? Yeah, and what does that represent to him? Security, safety, whatever. Do you know what he's quoting? Go back and watch it with your family. Tonight, you know what he's quoting when you see this scene of him not holding his blanket? The angels say, fear not. For unto you, this child's born. Fear not because the Messiah's here. And this is a cute little nod. Maybe you're just like, whoa, I thought I knew Charlie Brown. I don't know nothing about no Charlie Brown. This amazing. It's like, whoa, Charles Schultz is doing something here. He's trying to say, hey, you know what Linus doesn't need? He doesn't need his misplaced chaotic fears. He doesn't need his, his weird security things that, that he's holding on to. He can let go of those things because he doesn't need to be afraid because King Jesus is here. Romans 5 tells us this. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Verse 5 says, In hope, this hope in Jesus, we've been justified by faith, this hope does not put to shame. So often our misplaced chaotic fears bring us guilt and shame and weigh us down and make us orbit ourselves, make us orbit other people. It says, no, 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 this hope of Jesus Christ, it doesn't put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Scripture tells the Holy Spirit's a sign. We're sealed in the Holy Spirit. God's power, God's presence is now residing in us. We don't have to go to some temple. His presence is in us. The Holy Spirit has been given to us. Peter Kuzmik said, Hope is the ability to hear the music of the future. The music of the future is what we said last week. Jesus says, I'm making all things new. That's the end. Jesus makes all things new. Faith is the courage to dance to it today. Today we have a healthy fear that the Lord is who he says he is. That, that instead of separating us, he draws us in and says, fear not because Jesus is here. Fear not, behold, look to Jesus. As we say every week, look to Jesus. The birth of Jesus is the death to misplace chaotic fears. We should fear the Lord, but it's because we have a right relationship with him. The gospel is greater than fear, and we hold on to that hope. We could have talked about joy this morning as we talk about fear because the Old Testament connects joy and fear. As you fear the Lord, you experience joy. We could have talked about peace this morning because we just literally read that we have, have hope, we, we trust in the Lord, we fear the Lord, and then we have peace with God. We could have talked about that, but that's, that's next week. And, and we'll talk about, about joy in, in a couple weeks after that. And then we could have talked about love because there's a great verse that says there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts. But we're going to talk about love on the 24th, on Christmas Eve morn, however you word that. Today we talk about hope because the only hope we have is in King Jesus. It gives us a right relationship with the Lord to where we know what to do with fear. We don't have to live in fear, chaotic, disordered fear. We can look to Jesus and have right relationships with him. We're about to sing a song as the band comes forward. Uh, we've already sang it. It's living hope. We're singing living hope, right? Good. Uh, this reminds us that we have a living hope. 
You might, you might have some Lord, some Savior in your life that's lesser than Jesus. Some people might call that an idol, which is fine. You can put whatever religious word you want to it in, in the categories that you understand in your mind. But you might have something aside from Jesus in your life. Here's the thing. Whatever it is in your life that you fear, your, your relationship with yourself, your relationship with others, your relationship with God, your false understanding of religion... Maybe it's your job, maybe it's disappointing your kids, maybe it's disappointing your spouse, maybe it's being single forever, maybe it's your addiction. None of those things died for you, and none of those things are alive. None of them are living hopes. And so if nothing else in response right now, if you don't know what to do with these categories of fear, and this was all just psychological mumbo-jumbo with some scripture, and you're trying to make sense of everything, if I talk too fast for you, if you're still trying to figure out the difference, whatever, if nothing else, we come back to how we started. We lit a candle and we said, we have a living hope in King Jesus. The tomb is empty. Jesus is alive. We can have a right relationship with God and we can walk in hope. We can see the music of the future and walk in faith because we have hope in King Jesus. Stand with us as we sing living hope. If you need to pray with someone, there'll be people around. If you want to talk about something going on, if you've got fears you're trying to figure out, let's pray this morning and let's worship together. God, thank you for this time. Guide us as we worship you. We trust you. We thank you for your love for us. And God, we pray in this moment that your spirit would move, that you would unveil the fears, the things that we're hiding, and you would show us a right relationship with you. What it means to, to have healthy fear, healthy reverence, healthy relationships in the categories we don't even know how to make sense of, that we would open our hands to you. That you would rewire our brains to have healthy relationship with you, to see you rightly only through King Jesus. God, in this time, may we worship Jesus. And I pray for those who don't know you, that are here, those who are burdened by fear and doubt and, and brokenness and sin. I pray, God, that you would be moving all those things to newness in Christ as you give us boldness to give our lives to Jesus, to trust in Jesus. Guide us now as we respond. Thank you for your love for us. May we see your kingdom come and your will be done. If you need to pray, I'll be down here.